Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, special edition on the broadcast today. We had Dr. Robert Godfrey, one of our conference speakers, come and speak at our joint service along with Cloverdale uh, this uh, last Lord's Day. And so we have taken his message and split it up for your enjoyment. We hope it blesses you and we hope it helps you to see God's glory in a greater way. Please turn with me in the Word of God to Psalm 92. We'll read the whole psalm, but we'll be um, reflecting particularly on the first four verses of Psalm 92. Psalm 92, this is God's own word. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to a destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So far, the reading of God's Word. We have been looking at the conference and today on the Sabbath at various issues related to worship. And uh, tonight, I thought it might be useful to spend a little time. You'll be able to tell me after the service if it was useful. But I thought it might be useful to spend a little time thinking about uh, praise to God and particularly about psalms and their use in the praise of God. Uh, One of the great accomplishments of the Reformation was to restore to the people of God the singing of God's praise in congregational worship. 
uh, much of medieval worship had become an occasion either simply for a choir to sing or to have no music at all. And so, with the coming of the Reformation, the opportunity for the whole congregation to join in the praise of God was one of the most notable elements of the Reformation, one of the most obvious elements of the Reformation for many people, and one of the great blessings that God had brought uh, to His people. And uh, in the Reformed tradition in particular, but also in the Lutheran tradition, uh, there was a great stress put on the value and the importance of singing the Psalms. Uh, John Calvin felt so strongly about that that he devoted his whole ministry to encouraging the preparation of a complete Psalter for singing. And it was really only in the last year of John's Calvin's life that he saw a complete Psalter completed and uh, published so that the congregation would have the opportunity to sing all of the psalms, not in any one service, but uh, from time to time to be able to turn anywhere in the Psalter to be able to praise God. And that became the practice of the Reformed churches for centuries, that uh, the exclusive or predominant source of praises to God amongst Reformed people uh, came from the Psalter. And uh, that continued to be the case, uh, depending on what uh, Reformed group you looked at, uh, for centuries. Um, the Dutch Reformed churches, for example, continued to sing almost exclusively psalms until well into the 20th century. And some groups continue to do that. So psalm singing was a, a, a practice. It was a, a, an important practice in the life of the church. It became a cherished practice in the life of the church and um, uh, was remarkable for its longevity in the life of the church. Uh, some years ago, uh, uh, my wife and I and our family went to Williamsburg, Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia, and uh, that's a great fun place to go. And um, They have various uh, little gatherings that you can take part in, well, maybe not quite now, but Hopefully one day we'll be able to gather again. And um, uh, one of the gatherings was you could gather for an evangelical hymn sing. And uh, so we went to that and uh, we sang uh, hymns of John Wesley and of John Newton and of others from the um, 18th century. And the leader uh, asked at a certain point in that gathering, where was the one place in Colonial Williamsburg that you could not sing evangelical hymns? And uh, there were various guesses from the other folks gathered there. Uh, one, of course, was at the bar or, you know, other places. Uh, some of you already guessed that. Um, and uh, the, the, I knew the answer, but the leader... Uh, very smugly said, no, you're all wrong, you're all wrong. Um, the only place in Colonial Williamsburg where you could not sing these hymns was in the Anglican Church. There only the Psalms could be sung. And that was the only church in town. Uh, so the Psalms were prominent not just amongst the, uh, uh, the Reformed uh, in a narrow sense, but much more broadly 
as a treasured possession of the churches. Um, in our own time, psalm singing has declined some, and there are probably a variety of reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons is sometimes we don't have a really good text of a psalm. Sometimes the texts sound kind of old-fashioned or wooden or difficult. Um, sometimes the tune isn't very good. The tune may be old-fashioned or difficult or both. And uh, so sometimes we have drifted away from uh, the psalms in part because we haven't had a really good um, psalm to sing and sometimes because we haven't really understood the value of the psalms. We haven't thought about uh, why our heritage contained uh, so much uh, song, uh, psalm singing. And yet it was such a, a valuable part of our, of our spiritual experience. And, and some psalms, of course, uh, became and have remained particularly precious to people. I suppose in the English-speaking world, the most uh, familiar and precious psalm has been Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, in the Dutch-speaking world, uh, the most precious psalm, I think, was Psalm 103. And uh, I was reading once, uh, and uh, I read a Dutch professor who said, the Dutch have never much liked Psalm 23. I thought, well, what's the matter with the Dutch? And uh, uh, he said, it's because we had a bad text and a bad tune for Psalm 23 in the Dutch uh, songbook. And uh, so it, a lot depends on, on how the psalm is versified, what the tune to which it is set. But what makes the psalm so special? Uh, why have they been so valuable to so many for so long? If they're not valuable to us, maybe there's a reason they should become more valuable to us. And uh, that's what I'd like to think with you a little bit about tonight. As Terry Johnson mentioned at the conference, uh, the book of the Psalms is the longest book in the Bible, which means surely God thought it was important. Uh, God has given us a great big book. Uh, full of songs and prayers. And uh, it is good for us to pause and ask, uh, what's so important about this book? What's so special about this book? Why should we treasure it from God as a great gift? And actually, I've been pondering that uh, for a number of years now. And I have found it more difficult to answer that question than I thought it would be. I think uh, for people who have long sung the psalms, you have an immediate kind of feeling that these are great to sing. Uh, and uh, the Lord brings to, to mind and to memory various passages from various psalms uh, because the singing of the psalms helps plant them in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, but sometimes it's a little hard to express exactly what is so special about them. And so I'm going to try to do that tonight, but not with the greatest confidence I'm going to succeed. Uh, it, is, it is my hope that it'll be a stimulus for all of us to think more about the Psalms and at least to begin to get a glimpse of their value and of their uh, power. So what kind of gift has God given us in the Psalter? And you'll be surprised to learn that I've thought of three points in answer uh, to that question. What kind of gift has God given us um, in the Psalter? 
And my three points are, he has given us an inspired gift. He's given us a desired gift. And he's given us a required gift. I'm really happy with those three points. <laughs> the development of the points may not amount to much, but the points are really good. Uh, so God has given us an inspired gift, a desired gift, and a required gift. Let's think about that a little bit uh, together. And I want to focus our attention uh, as we think about that theme on these opening verses of Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. At the very center of what the Psalter is about is a call on the people of God to give thanks to God for what He has done for us and for who He is. And uh, uh, Psalm 92 I've chosen because uh, it contains an echo of the very origin of most of the psalms uh, in the Psalter, namely echoing back uh, to David's experience that set in motion most of the praise in the history of Israel. Uh, David was known as the sweet singer of Israel, wasn't he? Uh, David was a man of war. David was a man of God. Uh, David could be a man of sin. But David was a poet and a singer. And he brought music into the heart and life of Israel. And the great moment where that happened for Israel was when David arranged for the Ark of the Covenant finally to be brought up to Jerusalem and to establish the Ark of the Covenant there in Jerusalem as the center of the worship of God's people and arranged for the tabernacle, tabernacle to be built there and eventually, of course, under Solomon, the temple to be built there. But on that great day when the, tab when the uh, Ark of the Covenant was finally brought up to Jerusalem, uh, David had all sorts of activities. 